Thank you, young people. What a blessing that song was. And aren't you glad that he came? And he's here with us today. And I'm so thankful for that truth. I'm glad to introduce to you today Pastor John Shook. Pastor Shook pastors the Bailey's Grove Baptist Church in Asheboro, North Carolina. He said it was about two degrees warmer there when he left than it is here, and uh, or two degrees less, I'm not sure, but not much difference uh, as we're kind of going through a cold spell. But I'm glad uh, for these pastors that always come and are such a blessing to us in the preaching, and I'm sure this is a very busy time in the ministry there. Pastor Shook has pastored this church for 23 years and has seen the church grow and uh, have a great light there in that area. And I'm glad he's here. Let's get our Bibles ready, our minds ready, our pen ready, and let's be ready to hear what God has to say. Pastor Shook, you come. Let's welcome him as he does. Thank you so much. What a great honor it is to be here. You may be seated. And uh, we're going to start in just a few moments here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You could be turning over there. And then also Matthew chapter number 5. But it's uh, certainly a great honor to be here. And uh, we are uh, thankful for this opportunity. It's a great opportunity always to preach God's Word. Uh, but I understand uh, that uh, it's a unique opportunity because... Uh, the Lord has given me the privilege for a few minutes to influence those of you who've been loved and trained and taught and won to Christ by moms and dads and pastors all over the country. And I haven't done anything for you. I want to do something for you in this service, but I don't take that for granted. And I respect every one of your pastors and churches from which you came. And I want to add to what God has hopefully given you as you grew up and what you're getting here. What a special time to be a student at West Coast Baptist College, to be able to be a part of a, a ministry that God has anointed and is used in a powerful way, and to be in an atmosphere where it's very evident that God's Spirit is moving in a powerful way. You know, this morning I was praying and walking with God, and one of the things I thought about, I was born in 1970, and, uh, and I just put 1970 on my thank you God list, and uh, just incredible to, to be able to live in such a time as this and to have been able to be influenced by and be around some of the greatest Christians that lived in this generation. It's an awesome thing. Many times you don't really know it when you're in it, and perhaps you do. I hope that you do. But I'm very thankful for you on your behalf, and I hope you'll make the most of every opportunity that God gives you while you're a student here, and I, I trust that you will. Uh, thank you, Dr. Getch, and, and please thank Dr. Chappell uh, for me, uh, for this privilege. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, and I want you to look at this passage uh, with me. I'm going to ask you just to follow along as I read aloud, and beginning in verse number 1. Paul writes to the church at Corinth here and says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. 
And such trust have we through Christ to God word, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Our text verses, verse 6, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But the letter killeth, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. In conjunction with that passage, I want to read for you, or if you're there, uh, from Matthew and chapter number 5 and verse 17. Matthew 5 and verse number 17. The scripture, Jesus, of course, is speaking here, and he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So greatness, according to this passage, is the consistency of word and deed. You'll never discourage anybody perhaps any more than you will by saying, do what I say, not what I do. And many have been discouraged in their Christian life because they felt like they were being told to do what the one telling them to do was not willing themselves to do. And that brings great discouragement. And that, that person is the least in the kingdom, whereas the greatest is the one who both does and teaches consistency of word and deed. I want to speak to you on the subject, the letter killeth. Heavenly Father, I pray in this hour that you would give us uh, exactly what we need. And thank you for your spirit that dwells in me and dwells in each believer here. And you know what our needs are. So take the message, I pray, and minister in some specific way to the need of every heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you a little journey in your Bibles and, and, uh, and show you some examples, and then I want to preach to you. And so if you want to follow, you're welcome to. If you want to stay up with me, you can. But I'm going to read for you from 1 Samuel chapter number 24. 1 Samuel chapter number 24. And, uh, and uh, the Bible said it came to pass when Saul was returned from the following the Philistines. It was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to, to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, this is what I want you to notice from this scripture. David's men, they're in the cave in En Gedi. This is David's men speaking to him, and they say, Behold, the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. So David's men remind him, said, Hey, guess David, this is it, man, this is it. 
Here they are. They're inside the cave. And here comes Saul and his men. And Saul, of course, is chasing David. And uh, David's running for his life. He's a fugitive. And, and they're in this cave. And, and, and can you imagine these guys, you know, tucked up in the sides of this cave. And they hear commotion. And they hear someone coming. And it's, of all people, Saul and his men. And they're trying to be quiet back up in that cave. And God sends a deep sleep over them, of course, of Saul and his men. And they're creeping out. And, 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 and they're walking out. And here's, here's David and his men. And his men are like, David, this is it. God told you about this day. If this isn't the day, I've never seen it. This is the day that God said he would deliver your enemy. And you could do whatever you wanted it to him. Oh, boy. Now, that had to be tempting. David's like, yeah, this is a pretty good day. Man, I don't have to run anymore. All my troubles will be over. I could get rid of my arch nemesis, the man who for no apparent reason wants me dead. So they say, behold the day which the Lord said unto thee, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand. Now what's David's response? Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. David didn't kill Saul, did he? He walked over and he took a little piece of the hem of his garment and cut it off. And I want you to notice verse number five. And it came to pass after with David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. He didn't kill him. He didn't try to suffocate him. He didn't maim him. He went over and took a little piece of the hem of his garment and cut it off. And when he did, the Spirit of God convicted his heart and so pricked his heart, the Bible said that his heart was smote within him because he had dared to cut off a little piece of Saul's garment. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing. I should not have done that. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words in, in the Cambridge column reference. It says, cut off. He, see, he, he shut them up with that. <laughs> Those guys were like still encouraging. They wanted David to take vengeance. And David's heart was smitten. Here's my point. David's men could cite God's promise to David but they did not understand God's heart. They could say, for well, the Lord said he's going to deliver you. And if this isn't the opportunity to be delivered, I've never seen it, David. Come on. Come on, David. Take advantage of it. And David pondered for a moment and yielded enough to bend over and cut off the end of Saul's garment. And as soon as he did, as soon as he did, David's heart was smitten. As soon as he did, David was convicted. And he looked at his men and he said, I shouldn't have done that. That's God's anointed. I never should have done that. And they hushed up. What was the difference? Those men were right. God had promised David deliverance. God, David knew it from a teenage lad. He knew he was going to be the next king. He knew that was God's promise for his life. And yet he had a heart for God that those men did not understand. Look at Luke, if you would, chapter number 10. Luke chapter 10, let's show an example in, in the, the New Testament. Luke chapter number 10, verse number 38. Now it came to pass as they went 
that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha <coughs> was much cumbered, <coughs> was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath let me to serve alone? <coughs> Bid her therefore that she help me. Now, I, I study this in depth in the Greek, and I learned this, that she had a wooden spoon in her hand, and she had it on her hip like this, and she walked in. And she was tapping her foot like this, all right there in the Greek. And uh, anyway, but she, she, she came in. I mean, she'd been in the kitchen. She was busy, busy, busy. And uh, where was her sister? Her sister? Her sister was seated at the feet of Christ. Jesus was teaching, and she was just there, and she was just taking it in and just soaking it up. And Mary was over in the kitchen. She's busy, busy. And the busier she got, the madder she got. And uh, did you ever, when you're mad, you know, you sort of clang a little bit. You know, you're a little louder than you should be. I, I bet the noise level got higher and higher in the kitchen. Oops, drop that pot. Too bad there's no one to help me pick it up. And no response. And Mary's still over there. She's still at the feet of Jesus. You know, Jesus teaching. She's there and her heart's wide open. And, and Martha's over there busy, 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 banging and clanging. And finally she had all she could take. And she walked around the corner with that wooden spoon in her hand and on her hip and tapping her foot. And she said, Jesus, am I going to be in here all by myself taking care of this meal? What did Jesus do so patiently? Verse 41, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Mary, Martha was a busy servant. Martha was conscientious, and thank God for those folks, those folks that are a little easy going. Thank God for the folks that are conscientious, and, and they help us tremendously. Martha was such a person, and she, she was a busy servant, but she was so busy that she missed the one thing that was needful. Back up uh, just probably one page to chapter 9 of Luke, and I'll show you another New Testament illustration in verse 51. Luke 9, verse number 51. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Of course, Christ is headed to Jerusalem and ultimately to Calvary. Verse 52. And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they, the Samaritans of the village, did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. When, when they went to this village to make preparation, the folks in Samaria perhaps they got excited. Wow, Christ is coming here. He's going to honor us. And as you know, the Samaritans, they, they worshiped in Mount Gerizim and, and uh, at the temple there on Mount Gerizim. They said, Man, wow, we're going to have Christ on our team. Yeah. And they were excited perhaps. And, uh, and, uh, but then they found out that his face was set to go to Jerusalem where their enemies live. And then they didn't want anything to do with him. Well, he's not going to stay here. We, he ain't staying at all. I mean, he's not going to be our leader. Then forget it. We're not even giving him room for the night. 
And so in reaction to this, his disciples who were passionately defensive of their Christ, verse 54, when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Man, they was ready to bring down some fire from heaven. What did Jesus say? Yeah, get them, boys. That's not what he said. What did he say? Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You see, these disciples were passionately defensive of their leader, but they did not yet have their leader's heart. In Mark chapter 14, I'll show you one more example. In Mark chapter 14, verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover, and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, verse 2, No, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. <clears throat> now from the parable of the, uh, the man who gave a penny a day for working in the vineyard, we can, we can estimate that this would be of a value of 300 days wages. That seemed like a lot of money in any given time, sure. 300 days, 300 pence. And here they are, they're all uh, up in arms, so to speak, and huffing and puffing. <laughs> what a waste. And they murmured against her, verse, into verse 5. Verse 6 says, and Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Verse 8 says, She hath done what she could. They were present. Those who had a keen eye for social injustice. Somebody's got to do something for the poor around here. They were present who had a keen eye for, uh, for social injustice. But they did not have what Mary had. And that was a heart for God. Several years ago, I preached for a week at uh, a, a dear brother, a preacher friend in North Carolina. And uh, we were sitting down in his office after the service. We were in fellowship a little bit. We just got telling preacher stories back and forth. And he told me this story. He said, a couple years ago, he said, I had been working on a family in our, in our, uh, in our area for, for a year and a half, trying to get him to come to Sunday school, come to church. And I hadn't yet been able to get him to come. And uh, if you've if you got a class or a bus route or you know what that's like, you, get, you have a burden for somebody, you just can't get them off your heart. And you want him to come so bad, and you love him, you pray for him, and you work on him, you go see him, and he won't come, but you just can't get him off your heart, so you don't ever give up. And, and finally, they were having an, a church activity on a Friday night. It wasn't even a church service, it was a Friday night activity. And he had, been, he had visited them, and they had promised to come to the activity. 
And, 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 he, and, and, pa and the pastor was so excited. And so sure enough, uh, that Friday night activity came and, 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 and pastor was, was, uh, had actually gone to help someone else, uh, bring, to, to give someone else a ride to the activity. But, and while he was gone, this brand new young couple, never been to church before, showed up for the very first time. And as they walked in to the church activity, no doubt a very well-meaning individual walked up to them and said, Oh, pastor's not going to like the way you're dressed. And as soon as he said that, they turned and walked out the door and went back home. When pastor got back with his other visitor, he was going around and said, Hey, have y'all seen this young couple? Have you seen? I'm looking. I got visitors coming. I just knew they were going to be here. And he was so excited to see them. Finally, someone said, Well, I think maybe they, they did come. And he asked and he found out uh, what had happened. And as soon as he did, he jumped in his car. He drove over to their house, knocked on the door. And the man came to the door and he said, Sir, I'm, I just heard what happened. He said, I am so sorry. And is there any way, please, I could apologize to your wife? He said, Pastor, he said, Listen, we appreciate all the times you've been to our house and everything. And you're very kind. He said, But she, she don't want to talk to you. And to my knowledge, they never came. Now, what did that individual have that made that comment? Well, well, no doubt he had his pastor's convictions. No doubt he knew what his pastor would think or, or feel, but he did not have his pastor's heart. Let me tell you something, my dear friend. We're living in a day where it seems to me that folks are making a choice between the letter or the Spirit. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? To have the Spirit without the letter is compromise. But to have the letter without the Spirit will destroy lives. It will kill. Dave, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, the letter killeth. Now Jesus said in Matthew 5 he said I've come to fulfill the law every single jot and every single tittle. It's in there for a reason and it won't pass away. Uh, heaven and earth will pass but my words will not pass away. And he said I, I don't want you to, to get rid of my words. He said I want you to live them. He said greatness is when you do when, when you do what you teach. Greatness is when you say this is the way you ought to live. And then you live that way. And my dear friend, many, many have been discouraged in my generation. Many have been discouraged by the inconsistencies of leadership sometimes. When we say one thing and we expect someone else, someone uh, tells us we ought to do something. But the leadership doesn't model the very thing that they expect others to do. And I will say this, my dear friend, that is discouraging. Listen, when a, when a parent comes to a child and says, Now, don't do what I do, but do what I say, that child will do that as long as they're under our thumbs. But just as quickly as they're no longer under our thumbs, they're going to do what we say, they're going to do what they saw. And God said this He said, Greatness is when you are consistent both in word and in deed. What is the cross? What is the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross is a place where God, a holy God, a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God who cannot look upon sin, a God who will punish sin and must punish sin, met with the God of love 
and compassion and grace and mercy and forbearance. And Calvary is where a God of judgment and a God of love came. And he reconciled those two characteristics of himself. His justice, his holiness, his wrath, his judgment with his mercy and with his grace. And Calvary is the perfect admixture of God's love and of God's judgment. It is a place where holiness and mercy met one another. It is a place where justice and love met. It is a place where the letter of the law met the spirit of the law. It's a place where the law met grace. That's what Calvary is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a beautiful, perfect balance of both letter and spirit. What is separation? So, so, sometimes we get mixed up on this thing. We get mixed up on this thing. We think, well, well. Uh, uh, well, well, separation, separation is, uh, uh, get, get away from that, and get away from that, and get away from that. Oh, get away from that. No, no, Romans chapter 1, Paul said this. He said, I, Paul, the servant of Christ, separated unto God. And somehow we think that separation is the idea of getting away from everything that's bad. But the Bible concept of separation is unto God. In 1992, this little wedding band I put on my finger right here and, uh, 25 years ago, uh, that, 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 get, get ready to be 26 in a couple of days, that wedding band that I wear on my hand right there, my goodness gracious, that wasn't about I don't get to be with anybody else now. That was I get to be with the girl of my dreams. And I became separate under her. Let me, let me use this couple right here to illustrate this. Can I ask you all to come up for just a moment? They, they, they uh, leaned over to me a while ago and said, would you please use us uh, as an illustration? And I said, okay. So anyway, sort of how it happened. Anyway, y'all come right over here if you would. And uh, let's see. Brother Isaac and Sister Bella. All right. Isaac and Bella. All right. Y'all follow your instructions there. Now, I need two young men that are good sports and uh, have, a, have a good spirit. And you, you won't get feel, your feelings hurt. Okay, come here. All right, let's see. Here we go. I got two already. Here we go. All right. You both got jackets on. Here's what I need you. Come on up here if you would. All right. All right. Now, uh, I, need you to, I need you to take your sport coat off. Take your sport coat off. All right. Easy, ladies. Easy. All right. All right. You ready now? I want you to tie it around your waist. Tie it around your waist. Are you ready? All right. Now, here's what we have. We have... Cutie pie number one and cutie pie number two. <laughs> cutie pie number one and cutie pie number two. All right. Now, ignore us. Totally ignore us. Get, get, get close. Y'all are married, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Now, now Isaac, I need you to help me. I, I need you guys to animate what I'm doing, okay? That's it. You, you said you, okay. All right. Now, Isaac, I got, I got some instructions for you. You're married now, Okay. Now, you listen to me, Isaac. That means that you can no longer play footsie with cutie pies. Do you understand that? No more, son. You are no longer allowed to play. Are you getting this, Isaac? This is important, son. I mean, this is what marriage is all about. You can't play footsie with cutie pies anymore, even though they come, they, tr they may try to play footsie with you. And uh, 
but you are no longer allowed to play footsie with the kids. Are you getting this, Isaac? Isaac, listen. Rule number two, you are no longer allowed to whisper sweet nothings in the ears of the cutie pies. No more. You, you, now, they may try to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. They might try to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. But you are no longer allowed to whisper sweet nothings. Number three, marriage is important, Isaac. Number three, you are no longer allowed to share straws with the sweetie pies. Isaac, are you getting this? I hope you're getting this. This is important, son. Marriage is important. You are no longer allowed to write love notes to the sweetie pies. You got those? Now, how many of you understand this is fairly ridiculous? Isaac, how long? Uh, you can come out of character for now. How long have you been married? Uh, ten months. Ten months. Congratulations. Amen. He looks like he's in love, doesn't he? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, cutie pies. Oh. Well, I'm not sure if I want to shake your hand, but no. All right. Folks, listen to me. You, you, I think you get the point. You get the illustration here. Listen, marriage is not about I don't get to be with anybody else. Marriage is about I get to be with the one that I fell in love with, and I get to spend the rest of my life with them. You know what separation is? Listen, who, who wants the world? Man, who wants a, a half-eaten grizzly hamburger when God wants to give you a T-bone steak rare with baked potato? And, oh, my goodness. Shandala, come on. Uh, listen, separation. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14. Go to the end of the verse. He said, I'll be a father unto you. He said, it'll sweeten our relationship and you'll be closer to me than ever before. And too many folks in my generation have decided that the only way to have a sweet relationship with God is somehow to throw out separation and get rid of all that. That's so strict and that's so, that's so uh, binding. And if you really, really want to be in love with Jesus, you've got to forget all that and just come over and love, 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 love. No, no. No, no, no. The cross of Christ was where holiness and love met. My dear friend, separation unto God necessitates separation from the world. Man, if you're bent out of shape over the rules at Bible college, man, you need to understand. My, there's some folks that are trying to get you to understand how wonderful it is to be consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take the Bible for a moment. Some believers I've, have learned just enough of the Word of God to make them dangerous. Yes, the Bible is quick, it's alive. And yes, it's powerful. And yes, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like we had hurricanes come through a couple times here in the last several months in North Carolina. Power lines, we, came, we left the house one morning and uh, power lines down on the road. You don't want to run over those. You don't want to run over that. Yeah, it's a hot, it's alive. And this book right here is alive. And it's hot. It's like a, it's like a power line. And, and, and it's a two-edged sword, yes. Which is the very reason we ought to wield it carefully and knowingly. You don't do surgery with a chainsaw. 
The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divining asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is discerned of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, the Word of God is, is, a, is a surgeon's scalpel, and it'll save your life. It's powerful, and that's why it ought to be wielded carefully. There's two extremes that I'd like to warn you against, young people. Number one is being a Pharisee. The Pharisee, Jesus said this. He said, you, you put burdens on men and you wouldn't lift a finger to carry the same burden. He said, you tell people to do things that you yourself will not even do. And that is a danger. And I hope you get your heart while you're here at West Coast Baptist College. I hope you set your heart on Christ. God forbid that you ever have a friend or a leader disappoint you. But I got news for you. If you're saved, you stay in the battle for a while. Are you going to get disappointed along the way? Yeah. Dr. Getcher, they're going to be disappointed along. Yeah. But you better have your heart set on Christ, right? Amen. Yeah. So here's the danger. One danger is being a Pharisee. One danger is thinking, because I believe right and I preach right and I carry the right Bible and I have the right this and I have the right that, that I am right. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. God knows the heart, doesn't he? So there's a danger of being a Pharisee, but there's a second danger. Listen to this very carefully. And that's being disillusioned by a Pharisee. In my generation, many have become disillusioned by Pharisees. And in so doing, in an order, in an effort to convey the spirit of the law, they hacked up the law. They cut out what they didn't feel like was necessary. Young people, don't be a Pharisee. But don't be disillusioned by a Pharisee either. Yes, the letter killeth by itself. Yes, the letter alone killeth. Yes, the, the, the letter of the law that says you must do this and you must do that and you must do this and doesn't understand the heart behind it and the spirit behind it and the purpose behind it and doesn't, isn't instructed with an example of someone who has a heart for God. Yes, that can be detrimental, but just as detrimental is a person who in an attempt to disassociate with the Pharisee throws out the letter. No, the letter by itself killeth. My young people, listen, while you're here, get the letter of the law, get it to the nth degree, every jot and every tittle, but make sure while you do it, you get the heart as well because it is the heart conveying the law that will win the souls of men to Christ. Too many believers view this whole idea of hating sin and loving sinners as some great conundrum, a puzzle with no solution, a problem with no answer, but not to those who sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, the embodiment of holiness, who when they heard him speak, wondered at his gracious words, Several years ago, one of, I'm sure you may be familiar, many of you, with Brother Raji. I'll just use his first name. His father pastored in a Middle Eastern country, closed country, and 
One day a man from Saudi Arabia and his two wives came on a vacation to Syria. And walking down the street, one of the wives was uh, offered a New Testament. She'd never seen a Bible before, never held a Bible, never touched a Bible. But out of curiosity, she took it. She took that Bible and she went back and opened up the Gospels and began to read. And she came to the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And how that she was drugged before Christ. And the Pharisees said, the law says she should be stoned. What say ye? And Jesus leaned over and wrote in the sand. Looked up and said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. That woman's reading this for the first time and she's weeping. Can this be true? Is there such a man? She went back the next day where she had received a Bible, sat down with the pastor's wife, totally without her husband's knowledge. And she was, re she was born again. She was saved by the grace of God. Now she's in a real quandary. She has the joy of the Lord in her heart. She's married to a staunch Muslim man and his other wife. And uh, I guess they're wife-in-laws. I don't know what they are, but anyway... Uh, She's got to tell somebody what's happened in her heart. And so finally, she can't stand anymore in secret. She tells the other wife. She said, you've got to read this. And she opened that New Testament. She said, what are you doing with that book? She said, you've just got to read this. And she showed her the story. And that lady began to weep. And the next day, they went back to where they received the New Testament. And the pastor's wife led her to Christ as well. They finally got the courage to tell their husband what had happened. They showed him the story. He came. Brother Raji's father led him to Christ. He went back to Saudi Arabia, sold his house, and gave the money for Bibles to be printed and smuggled into those Middle Eastern countries. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? There's a holy God in heaven, and let us never forget it. I beg you, young people, not to get caught up in this spirit today that's sweeping across our churches, a spirit of compromise where old-fashioned Bible standards and convictions are no longer necessary. Oh, no, 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 don't get caught up in that. You say, well, I know somebody, and they used to do this and that, and they was a hypocrite. Okay, then don't be one. Be genuine. Don't be a Pharisee. But neither become disillusioned by one. Be genuine. Be strong in what you believe. Be genuine. You won't be perfect. But by the grace of God, live what you teach. Model what you believe. Because there's a world that desperately needs what you have. Would you bow with me, please? Father, would you raise up from among this choice group of young people some wonderful servants of God, passionate for the truth, strong in their conviction, with a heart as big as the wide outdoors. May we understand that's not a contradiction. With the Spirit's help, we can be faithful to the letter and convey the Spirit also. Young people, the Lord dealt with you in some way. We'll open the altar. 
Let's stand together, shall we? Maybe you want to just come and say, you know what? I need to I need to establish some strong convictions in my life. Young people, Bible college is a great place for you to figure out why you were raised the way you were. Why your parents, the Christian school, your pastor, your college, why does it stand where it stands? This is a good time for you to make sure you have established your own biblical convictions. In so doing, don't miss the heart. A heart is what conveys the truth.